Now this morning we continue our series on spiritual warfare. What a great song that we just had to go along with that because God is our defender, our shield, and all the things that that song was saying. Last week we looked at the quintessential text about spiritual warfare in the Bible, and that was Ephesians 6, uh, talking about the Christian warrior. And the moment you became a Christian, you became a spiritual warrior as well. And we won't talk more about that, but we talked about how to resist the devil. Most people are just ignoring him, thinking if they ignore him, he'll go away. That's not going to happen. You're in the battle whether you like it or not. The moment you got saved, you became a warrior. And you have to resist the devil, learn how to do that, stand firm against him, clothe yourself and your family in the whole armor of God, and move on in victory. Now today we're going to talk about a man that many of you have read about in the Bible. He's probably scary to you a little bit, the Gerizim demoniac or the Gadarene demoniac. Gadarene in Luke chapter 8, it's the same place. If you go to Israel, you'll love the, the Sea of Galilee. It's my favorite place to go, the Sea of Galilee. And if you took the Sea of Galilee and it was like a clock, the Gerizim side would be over at about 3 or 4 o'clock on the eastern shore of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And it was a Gentile area, obviously, because our text says that they had uh, pigs over there, swine over there, but it was a place that a great miracle happened. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how to have victory over the enemy. Some of you say, I look at this whole thing, Brother Steve, and it scares me. All this, the demoniac and the garrison and all of this. This is the end game that the devil wants for everybody in this room. He wants you to be like the garrison demoniac. He wants you to be tortured. He wants you to be totally isolated and naked and deprived. That's what the devil wants for you. And sometimes we all feel a little bit unsettled. Maybe we feel tortured at times. Sometimes our thoughts can get out of control. We feel lonely. We have thoughts of fear and discouragement and anger and immorality. And we wonder, why can't we get our mind right? Sometimes may even have self-destructive thoughts nowadays. Some people cut themselves nowadays. And some of you have little hope for your future. The man in our text had a soul like that. He had no hope for his future. He lived in a cave. There was another man that was living there with him, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8. But he was locked in chains, not forged by man. He could break those locks, but he couldn't break the locks that Satan had given him. He needed help. And the only one that could help him was Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that can help you and me. So today, we're going to look at shackled souls, the devil's endgame. Again, this is what the devil wants for all of us. Now, it's 20 verses, so we're going to walk through the text and go as we walk through it instead of reading it all at the beginning. Notice, first of all, what I call the condition of shackled souls. The man in our text was demonized. That's very important that you hear what I'm about to say. The Greek word is daimonizomide. Daimonizomide. Some English translations, unfortunately, translate it demon-possessed. That is not what the word means. Because when you hear the word demon-possessed, 
you think that that's just totally taken over. It means demonized, and there can be multiple levels of being demonized. And some people say, well, a Christian, you know, with the Holy Spirit in us cannot be demonized. What it means is to be harassed by a demon. Now, listen to me. Christians can be harassed by the devil and demons. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Then you don't believe your Bible because Jesus was harassed by the devil and Paul was harassed by demons. So if Jesus and Paul were harassed, guess what? Steve and others, are, you're going to be harassed as well. And so you just have to look at it that way and see this is the devil's end game. Five characteristics of what the devil wants to do to you. Now, when you see these, it's going to blow your mind and maybe explain some of the ways that you feel. First of all, condition number one, a soul shackled by demons is desperate. Look at verses one and two. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizim. Now, before I look at the Gerizim demoniac, I want to just show you that, how many of you believe that God keeps his promises? Does anybody believe that? Yes, we all believe that. Even if we didn't, we'd still raise our hand. Amen. We, we, we just, we're not going to, uh, you know, pull back on that one. No, that's a gimme. All right. Well, here's a promise fulfilled. Jesus, if you go back to chapter four, verse 35, had said, boys, that's the Gaines version. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Remember that? And so they all get in the boat, little bitty boat. And they start going to the other side. What happened? A storm came up, right? And what was Jesus doing? He was asleep in the back of the boat. He was tired from ministry. And uh, they awakened him shouting, saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? We're about to drown. Jesus stands up and says to the wind, hush, and says to the sea, be still. And everything did what Jesus told it to do. And they were marveled. And then, He said, why don't you have more faith? What's your problem? What's the big deal? (laughs) They were about to drown. That was a big deal. But uh, Jesus was saying, if I'm with you in the boat, and I've already told you we're going to the other side, don't worry about it. That's a good word for somebody in this room right now. If God's already given you a promise, hang on to the promise regardless of what it looks like. So the Bible says here in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea. God keeps his promises, amen and amen. But there was a bigger storm waiting for them on the shore. Look at verse two. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now, it says he got out of the boat. I believe this man, and Luke 8 tells us there was another man. I believe they were running toward Jesus, and they didn't have any clothes on. They had chains hanging off them. And I believe the disciple says, Jesus, we're going to pray for you. You go get him. All right. I believe they were still back in the boat. The Bible never says they got out of the boat. You don't hear about the disciples anymore. They're back there saying, you know, that's kind of like when you're the preacher. They say, Lord, preacher, we're going to pray for you now. <laughs> Why don't you come with me? No, we'll just pray for you. That's great. All right, great. So Jesus goes out by himself and he meets this man and he has an unclean spirit. He was desperate. You might remember there was a desperate woman that was demonized in Acts 16. Paul had gone to Philippi and he planted a church there and was ministering. And while he and 
Silas were preaching, this woman kept coming up, and the Bible says she had a spirit of divination, literally in the Greek, a pneuma python, a spirit of python. And the Bible says that she kept repeating in an annoying way that these men are preaching the truth of the Most High God. What she was saying was right, but she kept on interrupting and kept on, it'd be like somebody standing up right now, don't do it. <laughs> standing up right now and just constantly saying something that was true over and over and over and over. And finally, Paul, he'd had all he could stand and he said, I command you. He didn't speak to the woman, he spoke to the demon. I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And he came out just like that, like that. Paul realized that God had given him authority and every Christian authority to cast out demons. But that woman was desperate. She was desperate. That's what demonic spirits do to you. They make you desperate. And some of you feel desperate today. It could be caused by a demonic spirit. But praise God, we're going to talk to you about how to have authority over them and how to have victory over them. All desperate people are not demonized, but all demonized people have shackled, desperate souls. Condition number two, a a soul shackled by demonic forces is also isolated. You feel alone all the time. Look at verse three. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. He was isolated. He lived in caves. I've been to those caves. I know what they were like. They were where people were buried in there. He lived in the stench and the decay of dead bodies. Imagine that. In the darkness, he was isolated. But Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus went into that darkness and in that death and gave light and life. If you go to Luke chapter 16 sometime, you read about a man who went to hell. I don't believe it's a parable. I believe it's a story of a real man who was rich on the earth but died and went straight to hell. And the Bible talks about it's a sermon from hell is what it is. And the Bible talks about him suffering in hell. And he was all alone on earth. He was surrounded by people and parties. But when he went to hell, he was all alone. He could see heaven, but heaven wasn't looking back. He was suffering in the flames of hell all alone. That's what the devil wants for you. He wants you to be isolated. He can isolate you just like in the uh, African jungles If a wild animal can isolate a little animal, it can kill that animal. And the devil wants to isolate you so he can take you out. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need one another. We need to be in a group of other Christians. And uh, there are many Memphians who do life alone. They don't have any family member A lot of times the family members are too selfish. They don't ever come around, visit their aging parents and things like that. And they live alone. And they wish they could have somebody that would just come and be with them. They don't have a life group. They don't have a group. They don't have anybody to do life with. And the Bible says that's not good. We we need fellowship with one another. All isolated people are not demonized. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that when you get demonized, you are going to feel isolated deep in your soul. Condition number three, a soul shackled by demonic forces can be violent. Look at verses three and four. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains 
the chains which had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. You couldn't bind this demonized man with chains. He was bound in his soul, but physical bonds could not hold him. The demons gave him unusual, and you could say it and mean it, supernatural strength. You say, well, I just don't see that in the Bible. Well, it's because you had not read your Bible, because it's in the Bible. I'm not being a smart aleck, not trying to be, but I'm telling you that uh, that's all over the Bible. Go to Acts 19 one time, you'll see seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a Jewish prophet or priest or something, and he was not a Christian, neither were his boys. And they were out trying to cast demons out, and they heard that you could cast demons out in the name of Jesus. And so they went up to a man who had multiple demons, and they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of the man. Well, the demon says, I don't have to. And he starts talking back to him. And here's what the demon said. Don't tell me evil spirits are not real. Here's a demon talking, all right? And the Bible says, the evil spirit answered and said to these seven sons of Sceva, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Uh-oh. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, subdued them. That's a real pretty name for beat the tar out of them. That's what he did. All of them overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Don't forget that. The devil always wants you to be without. He wants you to be naked. He wants you hurting. He wants you crying. This man in this cave was naked and he was wounding. He was wounding himself. A lot of violent people, a lot of violence in today's society, I believe is demonic. When people just, you know, overtly rape people, beat people, stab people, shoot people, I believe many of them are demonized people doing that. I believe that many Young people who join gangs, violent gangs, they get demonized through the violence that they perpetrate. All violent people are not demonized, but many demonized people are violent. Condition number four, a soul shackled by demonic forces is miserable, miserable. Look at verse five, constantly night and day screaming among the tombs and in the mountains. This man's misery was nonstop, constantly, night and day, he was screaming. These demonic spirits were whispering to him and torturing him mentally and physically, perpetually, on and on, and he was miserable. Again, go back to the rich man that was in hell in Luke 16. He says, I am in agony, severe pain in this flame. In hell, people are suffering eternal misery. Don't you let somebody tell you that Jesus believed that hell was a place of, you know, temporary torture, and then you get to go back to heaven once you've paid your dues. No, that is a lie. That is a theologian lie. Theologians lie. There is no purgatory where you purge your sins out, and then you get to go to heaven. No. If you die and go to hell, you'll be there forever, and you'll be tortured forever for all of your eternity. That's just the way it is. I don't necessarily like that fact, but that's what the Bible says, and so that's what we go with. 
The devil wants you to live on earth in a hell-like condition, and he wants you to go straight to hell and suffer in misery with him for all eternity. Again, everybody that's miserable is not demonized, but everybody that's demonized is miserable. Condition five, a soul shackled by demonic forces can be self-destructive. Can be self-destructive. Look at verse five. He was gashing himself with stones. Gashing himself with stones. The demons caused him to deliberately injure his own body. He was cutting himself with sharp rocks. Self-destructive. You remember when Elijah faced the pagan prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, I believe it was. And uh, the Bible says that uh, when he challenged them and says, you see if your God can make fire fall on this offering. And they were dancing around, calling on Baal. And when they couldn't get him to do anything, they started gashing themselves, cutting their bodies and crying out in their demonic prayers to a pagan god. Well, it's not surprising that in our day there are many people who practice the same kind of things. People nowadays cut themselves, scratch themselves, burn themselves, carve words of symbols on their skin, hit themselves, punch themselves, bang their heads, pierce their skin with sharp objects, insert objects under their skin. I'm not saying that everybody that does that is demonized. I'm not saying that everybody is self-destructive is demonized. But I am saying that many are demonized. Many people that do that are demonized, and they're engaging in self-destruction. God created your body in his image. And God does not want you to harm your body. He doesn't want you to be an alcoholic. He doesn't want you to be a glutton. He doesn't want you to abuse your body. Your body is the image of God. And it's the devil that wants to deface the image of God. So I'm just saying to you, you follow the Lord on that, but you don't need to abuse the body that Jesus has given you. That's what the devil does. He's the thief, John 10, 10. Satan is the thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So a soul shackled by demonic forces can be self-destructive. Now, that's the conditions of a shackled soul. Desperation, isolation, violence, misery, self-destruction. Sounds a lot like hell, does it not? So let's look at that. Let's continue. The compassion of the Savior. Look at the compassion of our Jesus. It says, first of all, Jesus dominates demons. Can we say that out loud so that everybody hears us? All right, say it with me. Jesus dominates demons. There is no match in this match, all right? These demons don't have a chance. Look at verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, now this he here is the demon. Yes, he's using the man, but he's talking about the demon. The demon made him run and bow and shout with a loud voice, and he said, what business do we 
you and me, Jesus, have with each other, Son of the Most High God. Notice, he's an excellent theologian. The devil knows exactly who Satan, who Jesus is. I implore you by God, do not torment me. Who do you think's in charge here? Not the demon, not the devil, Jesus. The devil, the devil and the demons know exactly who he is. They were smarter than the disciples. The disciples didn't yet know that he was the Messiah. The, Messiah, the, the disciples didn't get that way until later in chapter 16 of Matthew, way later in their time. It took them years to get that. And the devil just right out of the gate says, I know who you are. You're the son of the most high God. I implore you, I beg you. Now, who do you think is in charge there? Not the demons. This is the strong man speaking, by the way. The strongest of all the demons. He had multiple demons. And the strong man was talking. And he says, I beg you, I implore you by God, don't torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So here you've got a demon shouting with a loud voice and talking to Jesus and calling him the most high God. And he's saying, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. This was not the only time that Jesus talked to demons. It was not the only time that demons were commanded to leave. If you go back to Jesus' temptation at the very beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, he looked at the devil in verse 10 and said to him, Go, Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And guess what? The Bible says the devil left. The devil has to obey Jesus. The devil obeys Jesus. Amen. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he was not permitting them to speak. Who do you think is in charge there? Jesus. They knew who he was. The devil and all the demons are no match for Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. I just like to say it. The devil and the demons are no match for Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than any demon and even the devil himself. Jesus dominates demons. And in that, we see the compassion of our Savior. We also see the compassion of our Savior in that Jesus not only dominates demons, but he delivers, praise his name, shackled souls. Look at verse 9. And he was asking them, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I want you to get what he's doing here. You, don't, you, you may not understand, but when he says, what is your name? It was like a wrestling match. Do you ever remember having somebody, my, my brother did this to me. I guess I just have this memory that I can't. We would come home from school. We'd both drink a knee-high soda pop. I would drink, I, I think I had grape and he would have orange and then he'd beat me up every day. That was how, how I grew up. And he'd hold my head in a lock and he'd squeeze it hard and my head would get red as a beet. He'd say, say uncle, say uncle, say uncle. And I wouldn't do it. And finally I'd say, uncle. I was so mad. But when I said uncle, he let me go. He said, what are you talking about? That's what Jesus was doing with his demon. He had him pinned to the floor if you will, had his head around his arm around his neck and said, say, uncle, what is your name? Tell me your name. The demons, let me tell you something about demons. They don't want to be identified. They like to work in silence. And Jesus, I command you, tell me your name. And he said, my name is Legion. 
for we are many. When he said that, it was all over. It was over before that, but it was really over then. And he said, legion. Think about that, a legion. That means there were numerous demons. The Roman legions were five to 7,000. And we know there were at least 2,000 demons in the man because 2,000 pigs are about to be killed when the demons come out of him. And they're organized like the Roman legions, and they're deadly like the Roman legions. That's why he said, my name is Legion. Verse 10, and the strong man demon began to implore him earnestly not to send them, that is the other demons under the strong man demon, out of the country. I believe that demonic spirits, I believe the Bible teaches that demonic spirits can be territorial. I believe that there are some demons that don't want to leave Memphis. I believe, you say, where in the world do you get that? Out of the Bible. You ought to know that I'm always going to answer like that, all right? Daniel chapter 9, there's the angel Gabriel is talking to Daniel, the great prophet of God, and he talks about two demonic strong men, and they are strong, and they are strong men over certain areas of the world. He says, and I believe this in the New Living Translation, that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia and the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece. These are demonic strong men, demonic princes that are over this spiritual territory that they're in. I think that's what's going on in our text. I believe these demons wanted to go into the pigs because they could at least stay in that area. Look at verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. Obviously these people were Gentiles. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Think about that. If we can't destroy the man, let us at least destroy those animals. Jesus gave them permission. Who's in charge? Jesus. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And what happened? The herd rushed down the steep bank. I've seen that steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were all drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away, reported it to the city, in the city, in the country, and the people came out to see what had happened. Other people had rejected that demoniac. They treated him like trash or somebody they were afraid of, but not Jesus. Jesus had compassion. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves us and has compassion on us? Amen. And Jesus touched people and healed people like this and delivered people like this all throughout the Bible. He delivered this shackled soul and he'll deliver your shackled soul. I don't care what you've done. You're not too far gone for Jesus. Jesus Christ will deliver you even today. I praise God for the compassion of the Savior. Number three, notice the change of those set free. Look at verses 15 through 17. And this reminds me of that old hymn. Remember we used to sing it. What a wonderful change in my life he has brought since Jesus came into my heart. Look at this. They came, verse 15, they came to Jesus and observed the man. That's the people from the town who had the, been demonized, he was sitting down, I love, oh, I love this, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. Say that with me. Sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. Can we just thank the Lord right now for that? He was sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. Amen. Now look at this. Look at this. The very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it, described them, how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, all about the swine. And they began to beg him, to implore him to leave their region. I want to tell you something. Everybody was not excited 
that 2,000 pigs had drowned. I think that's probably what they're really upset about. They've lost a lot of money here. And they cared more about pigs than they did about this demonized man being set free. A lot of people like that in Memphis today. They began to implore him to leave. But notice the three things. Let's just take that little phrase, those phrases that are sitting down, clothing his right mind. When Jesus touched this man and cast out the demons, notice he became calm. For the first time in a long time, he became calm. He became calm. Verse 15, he was sitting down. He wasn't cutting himself. He wasn't running wildly. He wasn't breaking chains. For the first time in a long time, he had peace. Demonic voices all gone, and he's calm. And some of you can be alone, but you're not calm. You're not calm. The voices are not gone. You need the Lord Jesus. He can touch you. He can make you calm today. And then notice he's clothed. He's clothed. Look at verse 15. He was clothed. Before he met Jesus, he was naked. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to be deplete. He wants you to be embarrassed. He wants you to be humiliated. He wants you to be totally exposed, deprived of all dignity. Now, I want you to think about something with me. There's no mention of the disciples getting out of the boat. I personally believe, and I can almost prove it by the text, but I personally believe that Jesus took off his outer garment, walked over to that man that was naked, and clothed him. Do you know what he did when he saved you? You were naked in your sin. You were deplete. You were vulnerable. But when Jesus saved you, he took off his righteousness. And he has enough to take off and still have a whole lot more. Amen. And he came over to you and he put his righteousness, his robe of righteousness around you. Hallelujah, glory to God. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Amen. He's given you his righteousness. Amen. He clothed him. And you can be clothed today. And then he was collected. He was calm. He was clothed. He was collected. He was in his right mind. He was no, the screaming was over. I don't think he ever screamed again. I don't think he, I think he got married, had kids. And I don't even think he screamed at his wife. Amen. <laughs> I don't think he ever doubted again. His mind was clear and calm. And you can have a mind like that today. God can put you in your right mind again. He did it for this man. He'll do the same for you. Oh, the change of the one set free. And then finally, we've seen the condition of shackled souls, the compassion for shackled souls, Jesus' compassion, and the change of a shackled soul. But look finally at the commission to those set free. Look at verses 18 through 20. We'll just walk through it. I'll just read. You can fill in the blanks here. Jesus saved the man, set him free, but that wasn't all. Jesus wanted he wanted to go with Jesus. Why not? Now, you know, nowadays people say, now, before you do any ministry, you've got to be discipled for about 
five years. And then if we believe that you're really ready to go. But Jesus didn't disciple the man. He just sent him out to preach. <laughs> I know that messes with some of y'all's the way you do things. And I'm so glad it does. There is no cookie cutter approach to discipleship. My soul. I know some churches won't even baptize you until they make sure that you're really saved. We're going we're to be watching you. Everybody in the Bible was baptized immediately. You got to do that to be obeying God. Why am I on that? I'm, over, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Sorry. So what's the commission? First of all, share about Jesus. When Jesus sets you free, he wants you to tell other people. Look at verses 18 and 19. He was getting into the boat. The man who had, was, had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them. Go home to your people. Go home to your people. Before you share with the world, go home to your people and report to them what great things God has done for you. Don't go to the world before you go to your house. If it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Amen? Tell your family you got saved. Tell your family you got set free. Tell your family that Jesus is Lord of your life. Ask them if they'd like to get saved too. Share about Jesus and then share your testimony. That's one of the greatest things you can do. Once you get set free, that's a commission anybody can do. Notice what he says in verse 19. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You. Tell them what Jesus did for you. What, what are they going to do? You walk up to somebody and you say, can I just tell you what Jesus did for me? Tell them what life was like before you got saved. Tell them how you got saved. And tell them what life is like now that you got saved. And they can't do a thing about it. They can just say, uh-huh. Oh, me. Or praise God. But you know what? That's your testimony. And you're sharing the gospel every time you do. That's what he did. Go home to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Has God had mercy on anybody in this room besides me? And I think we ought to tell somebody this week how good God's been to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then... When Christ sets you free and commissions you, you share with everybody, everyone. Don't just think, well, I can only share with these kind of people. I can only share with the people that look like me, act like me, live where I live. No, 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 no. We can go to all of Memphis, all of Shelby County, all of the Mid-South, and we are going to tell anybody and everybody that will listen about Jesus Christ. And notice what he says here. So he went away and began to proclaim to, in Decapolis, Deca, ten polos, cities. Ten cities. Never had a discipleship group. Wasn't even part of a church yet. Probably got baptized right there someplace. Right by the Sea of Galilee. Great place to get baptized. And all of a sudden, he's just out telling people in 10 towns. He's an evangelist. He goes to 10 towns, the Decapolis. And what's he telling them? What great things Jesus has done for him. And everybody was amazed. You mean that's that naked guy out there that used to scream at me when I walked by 
the Gerizim area. You mean that's that man that would throw rocks at me? You mean that's that man that used to gash himself? You mean that's that man that used to scream at night? You mean that's that man that we think was crazy? Yes, that's that man. And when Jesus changes you, everybody will take note of it. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the worst case scenario now. A lot of people that are demonized, afflicted by demons, harassed by demons at other levels. But this is the end game. This is what the devil wants for everybody. But I don't care what level you're at, Jesus will calm you, Jesus will clothe you, and Jesus will get you in your right mind. And that's worth coming to church for, amen? Amen. Jude was the brother of Jesus. He wrote the next to the last book in the Bible, and he only wrote one chapter. And it is one more good book. And he wrote something that reminds me of the Gerizim demoniac. Jude, there's only one chapter, so verses 22 and the first part of verse 23. Look at it on the screen. Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. And then notice what he says. Snatch others from the fire and save them. We look at people like this demoniac and say, he's too far gone. We look at the drunk and say, he's too far gone. We look at somebody on drugs on the streets of Memphis, too far gone. We look at somebody over here at a mission house, too far gone. We look at somebody that's married and married and married and married and married and divorced and divorced and divorced and divorced, too far gone. And we want to throw them away or just ignore them. And you can't do that. You got to snatch them out of the fire. You got to snatch them. You got to reach in the fire and snatch them out of the fire and say, Jesus loves you. And we do too. You're not too far gone. You're not too demonized. Regardless of what the devil is telling you right now, Jesus Christ is still Lord and he's still taking people out of the mighty clay and putting their feet on a rock so that they can stand for Christ. Don't tell me he can't do it. Don't tell me me he can't. I'm not a salesman. I'm a satisfied customer. Amen. He pulled me out of the miry clay. He can pull you out of the miry clay as well. Well, praise God. Let's just stand up. Just stand up and give glory to God. Amen. Just stand up and praise. Let's stand up and praise him right now. Praise him. Think about what you used to be like and just praise him right now and give him glory. That's not good enough. He deserves more than that. Praise him right now. Praise him right now. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. Amen.